0: The way of intelligence intelligence is aliveness, it is spontaneity, it is openness, it is vulnerability, it is impartiality, it is the courage to function without conclusions. And why do I say it is a courage? It is a courage because when you function out of a conclusion, the conclusion protects you. The conclusion gives you security, safety. You know it well. You know how to come to it. You are very efficient with it. To function without a conclusion is to function in innocence. There is no security. You may go wrong. You may go astray. One who is ready to go on the exploration called truth Has to be ready also to commit many errors, mistakes. Has to be able to risk. One may go astray, but that is how one arrives. Going many, many times astray. One learns how not to go astray. Committing many mistakes, one learns what is a mistake and how not to commit it knowing what is error one comes closer and closer to what is truth it is an individual exploration you cannot depend on others conclusions hmm. you were born as a no mind let this sink into your heart as deeply as possible because through that a door opens if you were born as a no mind Then the mind is just a social product. It is nothing natural. It is cultivated. It has been put together on top of you. Deep down, you are still free. You can get out of it. One can never get out of nature, but one can get out of the artificial any moment, one decides to. One can never get out of nature, but one can get out of the artificial any moment one decides to. Existence precedes thinking, so existence is not a state of mind, it is a state beyond. To be, not to think, is the way to know the fundamental. Science means thinking. Philosophy means thinking. Theology thinks. Theology means thinking. Religiousness does not mean thinking. The religious approach is a non-thinking approach. It is more intimate. It brings you closer to reality. It drops all that hinders. It unblocks you. You start flowering into life. You don't think that you are separate, looking. You don't think that you are a watcher, aloof, distant. You meet, mingle, and merge into reality. I like that. You meet, mingle, and merge into reality. And there is a different kind of knowing. It cannot be called knowledge. It is more like love, less like knowledge. It is so intimate that the word knowledge is not sufficient to express it. The word love is more adequate, more expressive. In the history of human consciousness, the first thing that evolved was magic. Magic was a combination of science and religion. Magic had something of the mind and something of the no-mind. Then out of magic grew philosophy, then out of philosophy grew science. Magic was both no-mind and mind, philosophy was only mind, and then mind plus experimentation became science. Religiousness is a state of no-mind. Religiousness and science are the two approaches to reality. Science approaches through the secondary. Religiousness goes direct. Science is an indirect approach. Religiousness is an intermediate approach. Immediate 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 approach. Science is an indirect approach. Religiousness is an immediate approach. Science goes around. Science goes round and round. Science goes round and round. Religiousness simply penetrates to the heart of reality. A few more things. Thinking can think only about the known. It can chew the already it can chew the already chewed. Thinking can never be original. How can you think about the unknown? Whatsoever you can manage, whatsoever you can manage to think, will belong to the unknown. You can think only because you know. At the most, thinking can create new combination. You can think about a horse who flies in the sky, who is made of gold, but nothing is new. You can think about a horse who flies in the sky, who is made of gold, but nothing is new. You know birds who fly in the sky. You know gold. You know horses. You combine the three together. The most thinking can imagine new combinations, but it cannot know the unknown. The unknown remains beyond it. So thinking goes in a circle. Goes on knowing the, It goes on knowing the known again and again and again. It goes on chewing the chewed. Thinking is never original. To come upon reality originally, radically. To come upon reality without any meditator. To come upon reality as if you are the first person to exist. That is liberating. That very newness of it liberates. Truth is an experience, not a belief. Truth never comes by studying about it. Truth has to be encountered. Truth has to be faced. The person who studies about love is like the person who studies about the himalayas by looking at the map of the mountains the map is not the mountain and if you start believing in the map you will go on missing the mountain if you become too much obsessed with the map the mountain may be there just in front of you but still you will not be able to see it and that's how it is the mountain is in front of you, but your eyes are full of maps, maps of the mountain, maps about the same mountain, made by different explorers. Somebody, somebody has climbed the mountain from the north side, somebody from the east. They have made different maps, Koran, Bible, Gita, different maps of the same truth. But you are too full of the maps, too burdened by their weight. You cannot move even an inch. You cannot see the mountain just standing in front of you. Its virgin snow peaks shining like gold in the morning sun. You don't have the eyes to see it. The prejudiced eye is blind. The heart, full of conclusions, is dead. Too many a priori assumption. Too many a priori assumptions. And your intelligence starts losing its sharpness, its beauty, its intensity. It becomes dull. Dull intelligence is what is called intellect. Your so-called intelligentsia, an not really intelligent. They are just intellectual. Intellect is a corpse. You can decorate it. You can decorate it with great pearls, diamonds, emeralds, but still a corpse is a corpse. But still a corpse is a corpse. To be alive is a totally different matter. Science means being... Science means being definite, being absolutely definite about facts. And if you are very definite about facts, then you cannot feel the mysterious. The more definite you are, the more mystery evaporates. Mystery needs a certain vagueness. Mystery needs something undefined, undemarcated. Undemarcated, Science is factual. Mystery is not factual. It is existential. A fact is only a part of existence, a very small part. And science deals with parts because it is easier to deal with parts. They are smaller. You can analyze them. You are not overwhelmed by them. You can pose, you can possess possess. You can possess them in your hand. You can dissect them, you can label them, you can be absolutely certain about their qualities, quantities, possibilities, but in that very process mystery is being killed. Science is the murder of mystery. If you want if you want to experience the mysterious you will have to enter through another door from a totally different dimension the dimension of the mind is the dimension of science and the dimension of meditation is the dimension of the miraculous the mysterious meditation makes everything undefined meditation takes you into the unknown The Uncharted, meditation takes you slowly slowly into a kind of dissolution, where the observer and the observed become one. Now that is not possible in science. The observer has to be the observer, and the observed has to be the observed, and a clear cut distinction has to be maintained continuously. Not even for a single moment should you forget yourself. Not even for a single moment should you become interested, dissolved, overwhelmed, passionate, loving towards the object of your inquiry, inquiry. You have to be detached. You have to be very cold. Cold. Absolutely indifferent. And indifference kills mystery. If you if you really want the experience of the mysterious, then you will have to open a new door in your being. I'm not saying stop being a scientist. I'm simply saying that science can remain a peripheral activity to you. When in the lab to be in the lab be a scientist, but when you come out of the lab Forget all about science. Then listen to the birds, and not in a scientific way. Look at the flowers, and not in a scientific way. Because when you look at the rose in a scientific, because when you look at the rose in a scientific way, it's it is a total different kind of thing that you are looking at. It is not the same rose that a poet experiences. The experience does not depend on the object. The experience depends on the experiencer, on the quality of experiencing. Ah. Looking at the flower become the flower. Looking at the flower become the flower. Dance around the flower, sing a song. The wind is cool and crisp. The sun is warm, and the flower is its in its prime. The flower is dancing in the wind, rejoicing, singing a song, singing Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Participate with it, drop indif- indifference. Objectivity, detachment. Drop all your scientific attitudes. Become a little more fluid, more melting, more merging. Let the flower speak to your heart. Let the flower enter your being. Invite him. He is a guest, and then you'll have some teas of mystery. He is a guest and then you'll have some taste of mystery this is the first step towards the mysterious and if you can be a if you can be a participant for a moment you have known the sky the secret of the ultimate step then become a participant in everything that you are doing walking don't just do it mechanically Don't just go on watching it. Beat. Dancing. Don't do it technically. Technique is irrelevant. You may be technically correct, and you will miss the whole joy of it. Dissolve yourself in the dance. Become the dance. Forget about the dancer. When such deep unity starts happening in many, many phases of your life, When all around you start having such tremendous experiences of disappearance, egolessness, nothingness. When the flower is there and you are not. The rainbow is there and you are not. When the clouds are roaming in the sky both within and without and you are not. When there is utter silence as far as you are concerned. When there is nobody in you, just a pure silence, a virgin silence, undistracted, undisturbed by logic, thought, emotion, feeling, that is the moment of meditation. Mind is gone. And when mind is gone, mystery enters. The Way of Trust Trust is the greatest intelligence. Why don't people trust? Because they don't trust their intelligence. They are afraid. They are afraid that they may be cheated. They are afraid. That's why they doubt. Doubt is out of fear. Doubt is out of a kind of insecurity in your own intelligence. You're not so confident that you can trust and you can go into trust. Trust needs great intelligence, courage, integrity. It needs a great heart to go into it. If you don't have enough intelligence, you protect yourself through doubt. If you have intelligence, you are ready to go into the unknown Because you know that even if the whole known world disappears and you are left in the unknown, you'll be able to settle there. You'll be able to make a home there. You will be able to make a home there in the unknown. You trust your intelligence. Doubt is is on guard. Intelligence keeps itself open because intelligence knows. Whatsoever happens, I'll be able to take the challenge to respond adequately. The, the mediocre mind has not that trust in itself. Knowledge is mediocre. To be in the state of not knowing is intelligence, it is awareness, and it is non kalimat. Non cumulative, non cumulative, non cumulative. It is non cumulative. Each moment that which happens disappears. It leaves no trace behind, no existential trace. One comes out of it again pure, again innocent, again like a child. Don't try to understand life, live it. Don't try to understand love. Move into love. Then you will know. And that knowing will come out of your experience. That knowing will never destroy the mystery. The more you know, the more you know that much remains to be known. The more you know, the more you know that much remains to be known. Life is not a problem to look at it. As a problem is to take a wrong step, it is a mystery to be lived, loved, experienced. In fact, the mind that is always after explanation is an afraid mind. Mm. The mind that is always after explanation, after explanations, is an afraid mind. Because of great fear he wants everything to be explained. Because of great fear he wants everything to be explained. He cannot go into anything before it is explained to him. With the explanations he feels that now the territory is familiar. Now he knows the geography. Now he can move with the map and the guidebook and the timetable. He's never ready to move in the... He's never ready to move in an unknown territory, uncharted, without a map, without a guide. But life is like that. And no map is possible because life goes on changing. Every moment is... Every moment, it is now. There is nothing old under the sun. I say to you, everything is new. It is a tremendous dynamism. It is a tremendous dynamism dynamism dynamism. dynamism, dynamism. It is a tremendous dynamism an absolute an absolute movement. Only change is permanent. Only change never changes. Everything else goes on changing, so you cannot have a map. By the time the map is ready, it is already out of date. By the time the map is available, it is useless. Life has changed its tracks. Life has started playing a new game. Life has started playing a new game. You cannot cope with life with maps because it is not measurable. And you cannot cope with life by consulting guide, guidebooks because guidebooks are possible only if things are stagnant. Life is not stagnant. It is a dynamism. It is a process. You cannot have a map of it. It is not miserable. It is an immeasurable mystery. A measurable mystery. Don't ask for explanations. And this I call maturity of mind. When somebody comes to the point of looking at life without any questions and simply drives, simply dives into it with courage and fearlessness. And this I call maturity of mind. When somebody comes to the point of looking at life without any questions, and simply dives into it with courage and fearlessness. The world, the whole world, is full of pseudo religious people, churches, temples, great waters, mosques full of religious people, and can't you see that the world is absolutely irreligious? With so many religious people, the world is so irreligious. Irreligious. How is this miracle happening? Everybody is religious and the total is irreligiousness. The religion is false. People have cultivated trust. Trust has become a belief not an experience. They have been taught to believe. They have not they have not been taught to know. That's where humanity has missed. Never believe. If you cannot trust, it is better to doubt because through doubt, someday or other some day or other, the possibility of trust will arise. You cannot live with doubt eternally. Doubt is disease. It is an illness. In doubt, you can never feel fulfilled. In doubt, you will always tremble. In doubt, you will always remain in anguish and divided and indecisive. In doubt, you will remain in a nightmare. So one day or other, you will start seeing, you will start seeking how to go beyond it. So I say it is good to be an atheist rather than a theist. A pseudo-theist. I have been taught to believe from the very childhood. Everybody's mind has been conditioned to believe. Believe in God, believe in the soul, believe in this and believe in that. Now that belief has entered into your bones and your blood, but it remains a belief. You have not known, and unless you know, you cannot be liberated. Knowledge liberates, only knowing liberates. All beliefs are borrowed. Others have given them to you. They are not your flowerings. And how can a borrowed thing lead you towards the real, the absolute, absolutely real? Drop all that you have taken from others. It is better to be a beggar than to be rich. Rich not by your own earning, but rich through stolen goods, rich through borrowed things, rich through tradition, rich through heritage. No, it is better to be a beggar but to be the, to be on one's own. That poverty has a richness in it because it is true, and your richness of belief is very poor. Those beliefs can never go very deep. They remain skin-deep at the most. Scratch a little, and the disbelief comes up. You believe in God, then your business fails, and suddenly the disbelief is there. You say, I don't believe. I can't believe in God. You believe in God, and your blood dies, and the disbelief comes up. You believe in God, and just by the depth of your Beloved, the belief is destroyed. It is not worth much. Trust can never be destroyed. Once it is there, nothing can destroy it. Nothing, absolutely nothing can destroy it. So, remember, there is a great difference between trust and belief. Trust is personal. Belief belief is social. Hmm. Trust is personal, belief is social, trust you have to grow in, belief you can remain in. Whatsoever you are and belief can be imposed on you, drop beliefs. The fear will be there because if you drop belief, doubt arises. Each belief is forcing doubt into hiding somewhere, replacing doubt. Don't be worried about it. Let the doubt come. Everybody has to pass through a dark night before he reaches the sunrise. Everybody has to pass through doubt. Long is the journey. Dark is the night. But when after the long journey and the dark night, the morning arises, then you know it then you know it was all worthwhile. Trust cannot be cultivated and never try to cultivate it. That is what has been done by the whole of humanity. Cultivated trust becomes belief. Discover trust within yourself. Don't cultivate it. Go deeper into your being to be to the very source of your being and discover it. Inquiry will need trust. Because you will be going into the unknown, it will demand tremendous trust and courage because you are moving away from the conventional and the traditional. You are moving away from the crowd. You are going into the open sea and you don't know where, whether the other shore exists at all. I could not send you into such an inquiry without preparing you to have trust. I will look contradictory. I will look contradictory, but what can I do? This is how life is. Only a man of great trust is capable of great doubt, great inquiry. Inquiry, inquiry. A man of little trust can only doubt a little. A man of no trust can only pretend that he doubts. He cannot inquire deeply the depth comes through trust and it is a risk because i send you into the uncharted sea i have to prepare i have to prepare you for this immense journey on which you will have to go alone but i can lead you up to the boat first you have to know about the beauty of trust the ecstasy of the way of the heart. So when you go into the open sh- ocean of reality, you will have courage enough to keep on going. Whatever, whatever happens, you will have trust enough in yourself. Just see, how can you trust anybody or anything if you don't trust yourself? It is impossible. If you doubt yourself, how can you trust It is you who are going to trust. And you don't trust yourself. How can you trust your trust? It is absolutely necessary that the heart should be opened before intellect can can be transformed into intelligence. That's the difference between intellect and intelligence. Intelligence is intellect in tune with your heart. Intelligence is intellect in tune with your heart. The heart knows how to trust. The intelligence knows how to seek. Intellect knows how to seek and search. There is an old Eastern story. Two beggars used to live outside a village. One was blind and one had no legs. One day, the forest near the village where these beggars used to live caught fire. They were uh, uh, contem- they were competitors, of course, in the same prof- profession, begging from the same people, and they were continually angry with each other. They were enemies, not friends. People in the same profession cannot be friends. It is very difficult because it is a question of competition. Clients. You take away somebody's clients. Beggars label their clients. Rem- remember that this is my man. Don't you bother him. You don't know to which beggar you belong. Who? The beggar is whose possession you are, but some beggar on the street has possessed you. He may have fought and won the battle, and now you are his position. I used to see a beggar near the university. One day I found him in the market. He was constantly there near the university because young people are more generous. Older people slowly become more misery, more afraid. Death is coming close by. Now money seems to be the only thing that can help. And if they have money, then others may help them also. If they don't have money, even their own sons, their own daughters, won't bother about them. But young people can be spent thrifts. Spend spend thrifts. They are young. They can earn life is there, a long life ahead. He was a rich beggar because in India a student reaches university only if he comes from a rich family. Otherwise it is a struggle. A few poor people also get there, but it's but it is painful, arduous, arduous. I was, I was also from a poor family. The whole night, I was working as an editor of a newspaper. And in the day, I went to the university for years. I could not sleep more than three or four hours. Whenever I could find time in the day or in the night. So this beggar was very strong. No other beggar could enter the university street. Even entry was banned. Everybody knew to who the university belonged. So that beggar. One day, suddenly, I saw a young man. The old man was not there. I asked him, What happened? Where is the old man? He said, he's my father-in-law. He has given the university to me as a gift. Now, The university did not know that the ownership had changed. That somebody else was now the owner. The young man said, I have married his girl. In India, a dowry is given. When you marry somebody's daughter, it is not just what you marry the daughter. Your father-in-law has to give you. If he is very rich, a car, a bungalow, if he is not very rich, then at least a scooter, if not that, then at least a bicycle. But he has to give something or other, a radio transistor set, a television, and some cash. If he is really rich, then he gives you an opportunity to go abroad, to study to become a more educated person, a doctor, an engineer, and he will pay for it. The beggar's daughter had got married, and as her dowry, the young man had been given the whole university. (laughs) He said, from today, this street and this university belong to me, and my father-in-law has shown me who my clients are. I saw the old man in the marketplace, so I said to him, Great, you have done well in giving a dowry. Dowry. Yes, he said. I had only one daughter, and I wanted to do something for my son-in-law. I have given him the best place to beg. Now, I'm here trying again to arrange my monopoly in the market. It is a very tough job here because there are so many beggars, senior ones who have already taken positions, position of clients. But there is nothing to be worried about. I will, mar- I will manage. I will throw out a few beggars from here. And suddenly he did. So when the forest was on fire, who, those two beggars thought for a moment, They were enemies, not even on speaking terms, but this was an emergency. The blind man said to the man who had no legs, Now, the only way to escape is that you sit on my uh, shoulders, use my legs, and I will use your eyes. That's the only way we can save ourselves. It was immediately understood there was no problem. The man without legs could not get out. It was impossible for him to cross the forest. It was all on fire. He could have moved a little bit, but that would not help. An exit, and a very quick exit, was needed. The blind man also was certain that he could not get out. He did not know where the fire was, where the road was, and where the trees were burning, and where they were not A blind man Hugh got lost, but both were intelligent people. They dropped their enemy uh, enmity enmity they dropped their enmity because friends become became friends and saved their lives. This is an Eastern fable, and this is about your intellect and your heart. It has nothing to do with beggars. It has something to do with you. It has something to do with the forest on fire. It is something to do with you. Because you are on fire, each moment you are burning, suffering, in misery, anguish. Alone your intellect is blind. It has legs. It can run fast. It can move fast. But because it is blind, it cannot choose the right direction in which to go. and It is bound to be continually stumbling, falling, hurting itself, and feeling its life meaningless. That's what the intellectuals of the whole world are saying. Life is meaningless. The reason why life seems to them meaningless is that the blind intellect is trying to see the light. It is impossible. There is a heart within you which sees, which feels, but which has no legs. It cannot run. It remains where it is, beating, waiting. Somebody intellect will understand and will be able to use the heart's eye. When I say the word trust, I mean the I mean the eyes of the heart. And when I say doubt, I mean the legs of your intellect. Both together can come out of the fire. There is no problem at all. But remember, the intellect has to accept the heart above its shoulders. It has to. The heart has no legs, only eyes. An intellect has to listen to the heart and follow its directions. In the hands of the heart, the intellect becomes intelligent. It is a transformation, a total transformation of energy. Then the person does not become an intellectual. He simply becomes wise. Wisdom comes through the meeting of the heart and the intellect. And once you have learned the art of how to create a synchronicity between your heartbeats and the workings of your intellect, you have the whole secret in your hand. The master key to open the mysteries. Okay. That's it.